This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Now, now on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. I emphasize the course is free, and we want you to know more about the course and how you can receive it. So we're going to pause now for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. A number of years ago, after a service, there was a young man went to the preacher who had just finished preaching a sermon about Christ and the death of Christ. And he told the preacher he wanted to tell him something that had happened in his life. He said when he was just a small boy that they, his family lived near the railroad track. And every day he and his brother would have to go down to the spring, ways down the track, get drinking water for the day. And he said, one day when they went down to get the water, they were on their way back to the house, walking up the railroad track. And they got tired, and they were near home, and they sat down to rest. For some reason, they did not hear the oncoming train. But their mother saw their danger, and she rushed up to where they were, and just in time, knocked them out of the path of that train. But in so doing, she lost her life. And he said that when that train stopped, there was the blood of his mother all over those cross ties, all over those rails. But he said it was not an ugly sight to him. He said it was a beautiful sight because he knew that his mother shed her blood that he might live. In 1 John, the first chapter in verse 7, the Bible reads like this, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. That verse is telling us that there was one almost 2,000 years ago who shed his blood that you and I might live forever. But the message of shed blood is repugnant to many people. And they turn from such a gory sight, feeling that their delicate sensibilities have been outraged. Why the modernist rejects the idea of blood atonement, he re may reject it for a number of reasons. One reason the modernist would reject the idea of blood atonement is because he thinks it's absurd to suggest that we have sins that need to be forgiven. And furthermore, he would think it a reflection upon our intelligence to insist that someone must die a vicarious death, that is, die in the place of another. But as I stand before you tonight, 
I tell you that the Bible teaches that men's sins cannot be forgiven without blood. Now, God has often used blood in dealing with His people. Even in the Old Testament, God used blood. He used blood in the Old Testament to bring about the temporal deliverance of His people. You may recall that the children of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt for many years and that God heard the cries of His people for deliverance. He raised up a man by the name of Moses to become the leader and to become the deliverer of His people. And finally, after some hesitation on the part of Moses, he appeared before Pharaoh along with his brother Aaron and to plead Pharaoh to let the people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He refused to let the people go. And it was not until God brought plagues, ten in number, on the land of Egypt that Pharaoh released the people from bondage. And that final plague was the death of the firstborn of both man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. And in order that God might spare His people from that devastating plague, He instructed them through His servant Moses to go out into the midst of their flock to find a lamb that was a year old without blemish and to take the blood of that animal and to put the blood of that animal upon the lentil upon the doorpost of their houses. And this is the promise that God made to them regarding that blood. And it is found in Exodus, the 12th chapter, and verse number 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So every house that had blood on the door was spared the death of their firstborn. Also in the Old Testament, there was the offering of animal blood as an atonement for the sins of the people. But we are told in the New Testament in Hebrews the 10th chapter and verse 4 that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. The fact of the matter is all cleansing from sin is to be directly attributed to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a truth that's taught not just in the New Testament, but it's taught in the Old Testament as well. It's taught in the Old Testament by way of prophecy. For example, in Zechariah the 13th chapter and verse 1, the prophet said, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. We sometimes sing the song based on that passage. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And there is a, flood, there is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Calvary when the Lord Jesus Christ died thereupon. Also in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, the ninth chapter in verse 24, and seventy weeks shall be determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to make an end of sin, to finish the transgression, to make reconciliation for iniquity, bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, 
and to anoint the most holy. Now in that one passage of Scripture, there are six things that are said. There was one who would make an end of sin, finish the transgression, bring in everlasting righteousness, make reconciliation for sin or iniquity, who would seal up the vision and prophecy, that is, fulfill prophecy and prediction. And this particular individual would be anointed the most holy. Of whom do you suppose the writer was speaking when he talked about one who would make an end of sin? Of whom do you suppose that he, to whom do you suppose he had reference when he talked about one who would make reconciliation for iniquity? Who would bring in everlasting righteousness? Who would fulfill prophecy and prediction? Who would be anointed the most holy? Why, the only one that, that to whom the prophet could possibly have reference is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in the Old Testament, this time from the pen of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, who hath believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely it borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him smitten, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Why, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ ever came in this world, the prophet Isaiah predicted the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 8th chapter of Acts, when the Philip the Evangelist was teaching the man from Ethiopia, the Bible there is in Acts chapter 8 that he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And he was talking to him from the book of Isaiah. And the particular passage that he was reading in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 6 and verse 7, he was led as a lamb that was slaughtered as a sheep dumb before his shearer, so he openeth not his mouth. And so the emphasis of the New Testament is on the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and prediction. But not only was the death of Jesus predicted in the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament in Matthew, the 26th chapter and verse 28, we hear Jesus saying, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sin." We turn now to the pen of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. From that same book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of of Christ. Amen. Then from the book of Romans, the, the uh, fifth chapter, verses 8 and 9, But God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Be 
much more than justified by His blood, we are saved from wrath through Him. And then from the pen of the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 18, verse 19, For as much as you know, that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, received from the vain conversation of the tradition of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. And then from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and verse number 12, for if the, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Or if the blood of goats and calves and ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And... For this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, Neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For Moses, when Moses had spoken every precept all the people according to the law, he took the blood of goats and calves with scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God hath enjoined upon you. Moreover also he sprinkled with, with the blood the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, now listen to verse 22. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Then we turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5. Unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Amen. You know what all of these verses are telling us? They're telling us that there is absolutely no cleansing from sin apart from the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood was shed for the salvation, for the forgiveness, for the redemption of the whole human family. And we need to understand that it was shed not just for those of us in this age of the world, but His blood was shed for the benefit of those who were faithful to whatever law to which they were amenable. Look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and verse 15 again. And for the cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death. Why? For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant. Why, when Jesus Christ died on the cross shedding his blood, the benefits of that went back to those who lived faithfully under that Old Testament law. And it is shed for the benefit of all mankind until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Well, we need to know, brethren, that that blood was shed not just to take care of our past sins, 
But that blood was shed to forgive us of our sins on a daily basis. Now I want to read to you again 1 John verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That word cleanseth means a continual process of cleansing. But there is a condition involved that we might have the blessing of that continued cleansing. And the condition is if we walk in the light. And God is light. Christ is light. Their word is light. If we walk in the light, serving God to the best of our knowledge, the best of our ability, walking faithfully in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, that blood keeps us cleansed. I remember going to see a lady in the hospital a number of years ago, and not normally I don't ask a lot of questions when I go to the hospital. I found out over the years you get too many answers if you ask a few questions. And... Some people are just waiting for you to ask them how do they feel. But on this particular occasion, I violated my rule, so I said, how do you feel? She said, not good. I said, what well, seems to be wrong? So, well, the doctor said that, that he couldn't help me. I said, well, just exactly what did the uh, doctor say that you're going to have to do? He said, I'd have to help myself. Well, I said, what's wrong? She said, brother, to be honest with you, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I said, what has you so frightened? She said, Brother Lambert, I am afraid that if I were to die right now, that I'd lose my soul. I said, sister, are you aware that a Christian ought not to live like that? I said, are, are, you, are you aware that when we serve God faithfully, we don't live with, with that kind of fear, that kind of doubt? So when she went home, I went to visit her in her home. And just about the time I walked in the door along with one of the elders who was with me, she said, Brother Lambert, do you think I'm a backslider? I said, well, that's an interesting question. I said, let me ask you some questions, and you answer your own question. When, when is the last time you attended a service of the church? She said, I don't remember. I, I said, well, when, when is the last time you observed the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day? She said, I don't have the least idea. I said, when is the last time you laid by in store on the first day of the week? You gave the Lord some of the money that you earn every week. She said, I don't have any idea. I said, now your question to me is, am I a backslider? And I said, you tell me that you don't have any idea of the last time you went to worship God. You don't have any idea of the last time you, you observed the Lord's Supper in remembrance of His death and suffering. Even though He said, do this in remembrance of me. You, you don't remember the last time you gave anything to God. I said, if you're not a backslider, what I'd like for you to tell me and this good man with me it's what do you think you'd have to do to become one? 
She said, I suppose I'm, I must be one, Brother Lambert. She said, what do I do? I said, well, verse 9 of this same chapter says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You just need to get back in the light. You need to get right with God. In all probability, there are people here tonight like that who may be wondering if something were to happen to me, would I be saved? Maybe you've been baptized years ago, but have you been living a faithful Christian life? And I would plead with you with all the love of my heart that while we sing the song of invitation tonight to make a decision that you're going to come back home to the Lord. But folks, you know, when I think about the blood of Jesus Christ, it just reminds me of how much the Lord loves us all. And I have a hard time talking about the love of God because I don't know that I have the words adequate to discuss it. There are a few things that surpass the love that a mother has for her child. I read a story about a, a young man a number of years ago was pacing up and down in a hospital corridor. His wife was in a room adjacent to it about to have their first child. And the doctor calls him aside in the room thinking that the the man's wife was sedated and could not hear the conversation and said, we have a crisis. And the crisis is, is that we either save your wife and lose the baby. Or we save the baby and we lose your wife. And he said, the decision is yours, sir. He said, doctor, he said, Whatever you do, you save my wife. And that woman raised up off the bed. She said, I heard what you said. And I plead with you, you save my baby. Yeah, that's great love, isn't it? But it no way compares to the great love of God Almighty. For God so the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. I can't imagine tonight why God would love me enough that He gave His Son. I, I can't imagine why I love this world enough that He gave His only Son. Just imagine that there's a disease that's destroying people in this world by the thousands, even into the millions of people. And it's becoming alarming and the doctors and the scientists from all over the world convene. And for the first time in the history of the world, there is unity because they want to find the, 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 the cure for this disease that's killing people all over the world. And they come up with an idea after doing a lot of research and combining all of their knowledge that if they could find a particular type of blood, they could use that blood to save the rest of the world. So they begin their search and they come to your house. They ask permission to test the blood of, of every member of your family and they come back and they say, we, we have found it. We found the cure, but it's the blood of one of your children. And would you be willing to forfeit your child that we might save not just hundreds, not just thousands, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands throughout the world. 
I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have three children, and I do not believe that I could give the life of a one of my children to save 10,000 worlds like this. But that's exactly what God did, didn't he? God looked down from heaven and he saw the plight of man and he says, I love man so much that I want to make a way for man to be saved and to go to heaven one day and I'm going to give my son that they might live. What great love. And he loves you. And you. And you. This blood that was shed out of love is confined to his body. Just like the blood that gives you life is confined to your physical body, the soul-saving blood of Jesus is confined to his spiritual body. And that's the church. Take your Bibles now and turn to the 20th chapter of Acts. In verse 28, we have Paul addressing the elders of the church in Ephesus. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock, over the which he hath made, uh, made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Amen. My friends, the church was purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many people today put emphasis on Christ, and they de-emphasize the importance of the church. And I want to go on record as saying tonight, the church is not our Savior. Christ is our Savior. But it is the church of whom He is the Savior. Ephesians 5.23, Acts 2.47. And the blood is confined to His body, which is called the church. Ephesians 1.22 and verse 23. A number of years ago, there was a very popular evangelist who had several thousand young people in a coliseum out in Texas. And he had them all worked up and he raised his hand in the air and he said, we have made an end run around the church. And I want you to know that you don't make an end run around the church without running around the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is his blood that makes it important. And I want to urge those of you tonight who have never been added to his body, and in a few minutes when we sing the invitation song to come down the front, you let it be known that I want to become a Christian and I want the Lord to add me to His church family. And that can happen tonight before you pillow your head. Someone says, but Brother Lambert, I, I understand what you're talking about. I understand how important it is that Jesus shed His blood. I just want to know how do I benefit from it. How do I benefit from that blood? You say, I'm not a Christian, Brother Lambert, and I want to know what must I do to be saved? Well, I could answer it right to shortly and say, you just obey Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 says, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. But that's really not to say enough, is it? Just to say you obey the Lord. Obey what? Someone says, but Brother Lambert, I thought we're saved by God's grace. If any of us are ever saved, it will be by His grace. Titus 2 and 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. 
Ephesians 2.89 says, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the... Uh, or rather in Ephesians 2.8, uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, if any of us is saved, it'll be by the unmerited favor of God. There's not a single solitary thing that you will ever do to put God in debt to you so that God owes you salvation. Salvation, it comes as an unmerited favor from God Almighty. It's not a question, are we saved by the grace of God? The question is, how are we saved by the grace of God? And there's not a better place in all of the Bible for us to find the answer to that question than to turning in your Bibles right now to Romans the 6th chapter. Because in Romans the 6th chapter we learn how men, women, boys and girls can be saved by the grace of God. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice in verse 14, he says we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Well, if we're under grace, how are we saved by grace? Verse 1 beginning reads like this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, that, uh, that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul said we die to sin. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And just as Jesus died on the cross, we are to die. That is, we die to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so we die to the love of sin, to the practice of sin. That's just another way of saying we repent of our sins. Well, what do you do with this individual who has died to sin? Well, what do you do with anyone who has died? Generally, we bear them out of our sight. Look in verse 3. Therefore, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We take that individual who has died to sin and he is baptized into Jesus Christ. Baptized into his death. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where did Jesus shed his blood? Well, someone Jesus said Jesus shed his blood in his death. Well, when we're baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, by faith we come in contact with that blood that washes and cleanses us of our sins. Now notice verse number 4. Therefore we are buried with him. Baptism is a burial in water. It is not a sprinkling. It is not a pouring. It is an immersion. Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So just like Jesus died we, on the cross, we died of sin. Just like Jesus was buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph, of Arimathea, we're buried in a watery tomb. That is, we're buried with Christ in baptism. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God Almighty, we arise to walk from the waters of baptism 
to walk in the newness of life. We have obeyed a likeness of His death and of His burial and of His resurrection. I want to call your attention to verses 17 and 18 of this same chapter. But God be thanked that ye were, this is past tense, that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. A form of what doctrine? A form of the death and a form of the burial and a form of the resurrection of Christ. You've obeyed that form of doctrine that was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Well, I ask you free from sin when? Well, it says then made free from sin. You've made free from sin when you obey a form of that doctrine, a form of that death, a form of that burial, a form of that resurrection, and then you become a servant of righteousness. Somebody says, Brother Lambert, I just don't understand something. I just don't understand why you're putting so much emphasis on being baptized. You, you preachers in the Church of Christ are always talking about being baptized. Well, I want to ask some questions, and we're going to let God answer them. Question number one that we want to ask is, what washes away sin? Now, God's answer is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5. Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So what can wash away my sins? And the answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Question number two is when does that blood wash away our sins? The answer to that is found in Acts the 22nd chapter in verse 16. And now why tarriest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? So what washes away our sins? Nothing but the blood. When does that blood wash away our sins? It's when we as penitent confessing believers are baptized into Christ. Let me ask another question. What remits our sins? Or gives us remission of sins? Well, the answer to that is found in Matthew the 26th chapter and verse 28, where Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. But when does the blood remit our sins? Well, the answer to that is found in Acts, the second chapter, in verse 38. We're on the day of Pentecost here in response to the question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Answered, Repent. Anything else, Peter? And be baptized. How many of us? Every one of you. By whose authority? In the name of Jesus Christ. For what purpose? For the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what is it remits our sins? Nothing but the blood. When does that blood remit our sins? It's when we as penitent believers are immersed into the Lord Jesus Christ, coming in contact with that blood that washes and cleanses our sins. Somebody says, Brother Lambert, for the life of me, I just can't understand something. I can't understand how going down into a pool of water and having a man duck you under that water and coming up out of that water could have anything at all to do with the salvation of your soul. Well, now you answer this question for me. You tell me how putting blood on the outside of somebody's door could keep somebody on the inside of a house and dying during the night. 
You answer that one. Why somebody says that the reason that happened in Egypt during the days of Moses was because they did what God told them to do. Well, has it ever occurred to us that maybe there are some things that we ought to do in this age of the world because God said to do it? If you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, I want to encourage you to do that tonight. These good brethren here are, are, are interested in you, and they want to see you do what's right. And I'd encourage you to think seriously about it and to make a decision tonight. Folks, we need to be showing how important the blood of Jesus really is. And we show the importance of Jesus' blood every Lord's Day when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We do that in remembrance of Him. We show the importance of Jesus' blood when we are active, involved, zealous members of His body. And we show the importance of His blood when we tell somebody else about it. I remember the day President Kennedy was shot. I remember what I was doing. I was reading a book for school. And I remember where I was sitting, right by the radio. That was a sad day, wasn't it? That was a sad day for this nation. I don't believe our nation has ever been the same since that day. And just a matter of time, just a very short time, the entire civilized world knew that the President of the United States had been assassinated. But how it must grieve God that in after almost 2,000 years that there are still people in our world who do not know that Jesus died for them. Oh, friends, we show how important that blood is to tell somebody else about it. And we show the importance of that blood when we apply it to our sins. Now I want you to use your imagination now in closing. I want you to imagine that we're down in the land of Egypt. And God has explained to them that if His people want to be spared, they have to get that lamb, get its blood, put it on the door. And there stands a Jewish father with his firstborn son by his side. And that boy says to his dad, Dad, don't you think it's about time you put the blood on the door? And we hear that father say to his son, Oh, son, I've, I've killed an animal. Here's the blood in the basin. But putting it on the blood, or the blood on the door is just a formality. Don't be all that concerned about it. And then I hear that little boy say, But Daddy, don't you know what God said? God said, if you don't put that blood on the door, I'm going to die tonight. Do you really believe that father would have hesitated and waited to the second stanza of the invitation song? Oh, no. Not if he loved his son. And I'm pleading with you tonight to not hesitate, to not delay, but because God loves you and because you love him and because you want to go to heaven, that you'll come to Him right now, right now. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at one 877 5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.